0: Good evening and welcome to tonight's UEFA Champions League podcast. After such a long break, we are back with tonight's production for the UEFA Champions League show, the 19th of October 2022, in the year of our Lord. And wherever you are listening to this episode from, whether you are in the USA, on the African continent, Americas, Asia, Europe, and Oceania, Welcome to your most exciting, informative, and educative sports show on the calling platform with yours truly, Philip Alimo. I have love for sports and undoubtedly the greatest club competition on earth, the UEFA Champions League. Remember, this show is also available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. Tonight is a special production for our friends and loved ones in Italy. And with me to do the discussions in the studio is Matteo Carnaval, who is the editor and CEO as well as the founder of Cult Calcio. And also Matteo has been a football enthusiast and was privileged to work at the first ever World Cup to be hosted on the African continent. He played a pivotal role. He's got immense love for Italian football, which um, motivated him, and it's the drive behind the Calcio uh, football website, and uh, we'll be speaking to him tonight and be reviewing the Italian Serie a season and everything you need to know about Italian football. So, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are, wherever you're joining us, for this episode thank you for making the time macho thank you for making time to join us on the show i hope you're doing very well
1: i'm doing great philip well good evening everybody thank you very much for having me it's a pleasure and i feel honored to be part of the wefa champions league show and uh, well it's been so long right when we first met back in uh, 2010 at the world cup great great memories yes
0: Yes, it's been 12 years, 12 years. And, um, I w- we will be coming, we'll be coming, uh, to, to that, uh, shortly. It's 32 days, uh, to the big kickoff in Qatar. I will be picking your opinion on that and what you make of that. But, um, you base based in Monza and, um, it, Monza recently had, uh, the the football club promoted to the Italian Serie A and uh, tell us about the general atmosphere and everything in Italy for the purpose of my audience who do not know or have little or no information about Italy
1: Sounds good for, for sure, yes, as you said I'm, I'm based in Monza and uh, we are experiencing our first campaign in Serie A ever which is quite a big deal because this club is, is very old, it's more than 100 years old It comes from a big city, from a wealthy city. So it it comes as a surprise the fact that for some reason the local team, the local football team had never managed to make it to the Italian top flight. And uh, things started to change two or three years ago when uh, Silvio Berlusconi acquired the club uh, together with his uh, right hand, Adriano Galliani. And those are people that football fans know because they used to be the president and uh, the CEO of AC Milan back in the 80s and, and the 90s so of course they had some big power behind them, they bought the club with the specific idea of raising them to the top flight and perhaps even more which is something that they managed to do in the space of two seasons so they took Monza from the Serie C, which is our third division and, uh, and they put it back to Serie A so they they're just starting out. They had a rough start to the campaign. Uh, they really sacked their first manager, but since appointing a new coach, uh, this Palladino, and he's a former Serie a player himself, they've been enjoying a much better much better spell of performance. They, they won three games in a row. Uh, they lost last one at Tempoli last Saturday, but in general, they're doing very well, so it's a It's a welcome new phase in the Serie A, to be honest with you.
0: Definitely, it is a welcome new phase for Monza after 10 games in the Italian Serie A, even though they are seated 14th on the Italian um, league table. But uh, speaking of Italian football, Italy won the Euros in 2020, and many thought Italian football was on the rise and on the ascendancy. But unfortunately, Italy missed out of the mundial again after having missed out in 2018 can you tell us what it is that is the issue with italian football
1: do i really have to <laughs> no i mean I, I knew you were coming to, to that sooner or later right so yeah, yes I, I was prepared for that well if, if you ask me philip uh today i still don't, don't understand how, how how it was possible for us to miss out on a second World Cup in a row. Uh, if you ask me, I think if we replay the same qualification group 10 times again, uh, we would come up on top all 10 times. So what happened, It's I think it's uh, just one in 100 possibilities, which is not a justification, uh, but actually yeah, I mean, it's difficult to explain what happened. Maybe we grew a little overconfident after winning the Euro. And when things started not to go in the right direction, we we started to lose confidence and we started to lose uh, security. So to be, to be honest with you, when we failed to qualify directly to the World Cup, when we didn't manage to end on top in our qualification group, that's when players and maybe even the fans, they started to relieve the same nightmare as four years earlier. Um, and in the game with the, 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 the semi-final of our playoff group against North Macedonia, you could see during the game, already in the early minutes, that there was something not going right. Uh, again, the players didn't have confidence. They grew nervous by the minute. And uh, personally, I, I could see that something bad was coming. Um, and I also believe that maybe the prospect of facing, of probably facing Portugal in the final and Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, that also makes things worse. It made us not feel confident that we could actually make it. Uh, and then it ended up even worse because we lost our game, our semi final game with, with North Macedonia.
0: So, and, uh, is our
1: confidence? Sp- sp- Yeah.
0: And uh, not to cut you short, uh, but uh, some people of the school of thought, that uh, the Italian, the, the class from Italy's top uh, division, have not been performing very well at the top stage in European football. And for that matter, it's had a ripple effect on the national team. Do you agree with that school of thought?
1: I do, I do agree with the fact that, yeah, a lot of players who are regular starter in the Azzurri, so in the Italian uh, national team, they don't get enough playing time in their clubs, or if they, uh, I mean, uh, they, they play for clubs that don't get many chances to play European football. Uh, and I'll give you a very clear example. Domenico Berardi, he's been one of the most up-and-coming Italian strikers for. Like almost ten years, Uh, but he has always played. He he played his entire career with Sassuolo, which is a very nice team, but they never get chances to play European football. So, and that that has an impact when players like him basically need to uh, need to make up for the shortcomings of other players who might not be having a a good day. So, I definitely agree with you guys. Uh, Yeah, the. The players that we have, they don't get enough international uh, experience, Uh, and then when you know when things get tough, they they struggle a bit more to to perform.
0: And speaking of uh, 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 teams performing, uh, Napoli this season has been exceptional in the Champions League. They've played four games and they've won all four, and they've scored a whopping 17 goals, and only conceded four. Uh, First, I need your overall impression of Napoli, AC Milan, Juventus, and Inter Milan in the Champions League. And then you tell me what you make of Napoli flying the flags of Italy in the Champions League. For sure.
1: Yeah, uh, well, let me start by saying that Napoli are not only flying high in Europe, so in the Champions League, they're also performing amazingly at home. Uh, they won eight out of the 10 games they played so far. They are uh, on a 10 games winning streak, including both the Serie A and the Champions League. So they're they doing something very, very uh, interesting here. Uh, their performance has been exceptional. I think the main uh, problem that they managed to solve was the fact that in the past they also had some very positive trends and positive spells. But when they started to get injuries, they didn't have enough good backup players to make up for, for the starters that were missing. And I believe this season they really solved that. They made a very, um, very shrew transfer market and basically now they have a lot of options then can uh, you know step in when a player like Josiman is going to get injured or uh, now they suffered the injury of uh, center back Ramani um, and they they have the players who, who can make up for that so champions league wise i mean they already qualified and they really uh, they really raising the bar when it comes to italian team performances AC Milan well, uh, I support AC Milan, right? So I'm going to try not to be biased here. Um, Milan is in a, is an interesting situation because they, they back in the Champions League for the second year in a row after a very long time, seven years without European football. Trust me, it's been very, very painful to endure. Um, they played two games with Chelsea, First one, I mean, they were outclassed at Stamford Bridge and and it makes sense at this stage. Chelsea is one level above us um, when it comes to experience, when it comes to possibilities to play internationally in the past few seasons, so that's all right. The second game, the the one at the San Siro, it doesn't paint much of a picture because we got a player sent off of 20 minutes, so playing the whole game in 10 against 11, Uh, It was a a, a battle lost already from the beginning, right? Still, I believe Milan has very good chances of qualifying. The other two teams, we have two games uh, against what are, on paper, the weakest teams in the group, Salzburg and Dinamo Zagreb. So I think we have very good possibilities of making it through this time. And then we have Inter, who... Interleaved a very interesting situation as well, because they managed to put together two impressive performances against Barcelona right at the moment when they were struggling the most at home. Uh, in Serie A, they collected two losses in a row, uh, one at Odinese and one against Roma. And many people believe their season to be already doomed from the start. But it was interesting to see that right when they seem to have hit rock bottom, they managed to bounce back. And now they are in a quite favorable situation when it comes to qualification chances. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Iver Inter in the knockout stage, if you ask me for a prediction. And then we have Juventus, which has been an absolute surprise uh, a negative surprise for their fans and, in general, for everybody who loves Italian football. Uh, Juventus are pretty much doomed, right? They need to win both games that are left, one against Benfica and another one against PSG. If you ask me, I think it's almost impossible. And even if they do manage to win these both games, um, yeah, it might not be enough. So my overall prediction is... Napoli, Inter, AC Milan will make it to the knockout stage. For Juventus,
0: is going to be another disappointment when it comes to, to European football. And uh, th- that is a very deep analysis uh, from you, uh, uh, Mathieu. And uh, I want to pick your opinion on what you make of Spalletti's Napoli and what you think is the secret for them. And some people of the School of thought that uh, last season, where it mattered most, they flattered to deceive and eventually AC Milan won the Scudetto. Do you believe this season, given how Napoli is playing, do you believe they have what it takes, the metal to go the long stretch and win the Serie A?
1: Well, to answer to that question, I I would like to wait a few more weeks maybe a few more months, Um, because what you said is true. Last season, Napoli had everything that it took to win the Scudetto, including the fact that both Inter and Milan were not always performing at the best. Uh, But yeah, Napoli, they, they, they lost control at some point. And to be honest with you, it's not the first time that it happened because even a few seasons earlier, they managed to have a very nice head to head battle with Juventus and then they faltered when it mattered the most. So, do they have what it takes to win the title this season? I believe yes on paper. But we need to see how things will uh, evolve in the long run when uh, perhaps, you know, some players will start to be tired and the Champions League commitments are going to become more pressuring. Uh, All I can say is that, as I mentioned earlier, Napoli have a longer roster, have a stronger roster this season. They have a lot of players who, I mean, you can call them backups, but they are really world-class players. Think of Giovanni Simeone, uh, think of Bele, Italian strikers like Giacomo Raspadori. So they made a very interesting transfer market, and I believe this can be their added value. It can be their ace in the hole when the battle for the Scudetto is gonna get
0: more, uh, more close. And uh, speaking of the transfer market, another th- team that has been under immense pressure is Allegri's Juventus. This season, it's been topsy-turvy for Allegri's Juventus. Allegri has been under immense pressure from the fans, not from the management. The management still believes he's the man for the job, whilst the fans believe he has to go because uh, Juventus is not performing and it's not getting any better. Yet, during the transfer window, Juventus did some good signings. Uh, they signed uh, Paul Pogba, even though he's injured. They also signed uh, Argentine International, uh, Angel Di Maria and they, they also have the Serbian uh, uh, goal scorer who joined uh, last season, earlier in January, in the January transfer window. Uh, do you think Juventus and Allegri have a relationship, and can they go the full stretch?
1: Well, um, before we get to that, let me, let me make a comment on, on one, one thing that you said, the that the management still has trust in Allegri. I, I wouldn't be 100% sure on that. Of course, they, they will say that they, they do trust in him because they made a, a very important investment on him. So they need to back him up for, for the time being. Uh, there was something very funny happening a few a few days ago. And basically, after a press event, uh, the, um, the director of sport of Juventus, Maurizio Rivabene, uh, he was coming out of this press event and there was a support that, that told him something like, hey, why don't we sack Allegri? And he replied, maybe by instinct, he said, well, if we sack him, who's going to pay the new one? Will you? And that says a lot that maybe, yes, uh, Allegri doesn't have the full trust from the management, but on the other hand, they, their hands are tied because they, they paid him a lot of money. Getting rid of him wouldn't be the easiest thing. Uh, and moreover, I mean who who could they put him uh, in his place? With that being said, the, the problem with the Juventus transfer market, I believe was the fact that they they didn't make long term plans. the only The only signing that uh, could indicate a long- term plan is Duzemlovich, of course, who they acquired back in January. but bringing in players like Pogba, or Di Maria, or even Paredes, it, it tells you that there is no, there doesn't seem to be a long-term strategy. They're just trying to, you know, uh, patch, put some patchworks here and there to, to fill in the holes and uh, and keep going for one or two seasons. But theres there doesn't seem to be a real project overall. And I think this is what is uh, starting to show up uh, because when, you know, a player like Di Maria or Pogba, they Pogba injury he still has to play a single minute for Juventus. Di Maria, he's doing his thing, but he's also spending much time on sidelines because of injuries. And so it, Juventus seems to be a work in progress, but the fans don't, do not see the end of this progress. They do not see the end of this process of reconstruction, which doesn't seem to have a clear direction at this stage.
0: And also, uh, speaking of different platforms and stages, just uh, during the week on Monday, we had the Ballon d'Or and with Karim Benzema uh, winning it. Uh, first, let me pick your opinion on what you make of the Ballon d'Or, and then I would ask you a follow-up question based on Italy.
1: Yeah, uh, what I make of it, I think it's probably one of the very few additions recently that re- when really the award went to the player who performed the best in the previous season so I, I have nothing to say about that just congratulations to benzema well deserved uh i think it yeah it it, it put back a bit of trust in in this award who it had become like a, an affair between uh, cristiano ronaldo and messi for for many years even when not necessarily one of the two was deserving it the past season was a clear example in my view.
0: Definitely. And uh, the last Italian and defender to win the Ballon d'Or was Fabio Cannavaro in 2006. And uh, he is the last there've been five Italians to win it but in recent in the 21st century it's kind of Fab- Fabio Cannavaro is the last Italian to have won the Ballon d'Or. Do you think there is a challenge with Italian teams and the Italian uh, 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 football in general, that we are not able to to have that level of quality of players like the likes of Roberto Baggio, Fabio Cannavaro, that won the uh, uh, Ballon d'Or.
1: True, true, yes. I mean, it it is a challenge. If you ask me, I think we are not having a world-class player uh, since the days of... uh, I I believe probably the last one was Francesco Totti. Francesco Totti was the only real world-class player produced by Italian football, one who could have performed amazingly even outside of Italy and and in the top clubs in the world. Uh, Other than that, I would say Buffon. Gianluigi Buffon is is a player who would have deserved to win a Ballon d'Or if he had the chance. But other than that, yeah, we've been facing this, this situation since, since a long time, and I, I don't even see at this stage any player who could be a contender for the Ballon d'Or in the short term.
0: Speaking of uh, Gigi Buffon, uh, during Monday's press conference, Thibaut Courtois, who won the Goalkeeper of the Year award, went on to say he's disappointed to not have made the podium that is the top three at least having performed well for uh, Real Madrid and the Champions League, the Spanish La Liga, and as well as the UEFA Super Cup. Buffon also in his A days had similar challenges, but at least at some point was within uh, uh, max of making the podium. Do you think goalkeepers and defenders have a chance of ever making the podium.
1: Well, I'm going to ask like a a question. How how many goalkeepers have won the Ballon d'Or? I think only, only one to my, to my memory.
0: You are right. Only one.
1: So yeah, it is, it is true, especially for a goalkeeper. I mean, you always say that uh, the goalkeeper doesn't get a lot of attention unless, unless they make a very evident mistake. So if they save a goal, they've just done their job. They just done what they're there for. But if they make a mistake, there is no one who can back them up. So it's really difficult for uh, a goalkeeper to, to to grab the attention, to make the highlights. And of course, he's never going to, uh, he's never going to get the attention that a, a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Messi can get. So for, for a goalkeeper, yeah, uh, you really need to be an outstanding one or you really must not have a lot of competition to to ever make it to the high position. Uh, when it comes to the defender, yeah, it, it, it has happened in the past, mm, but of course, especially in, in modern football, uh, where it's all about highlights, it's all about visibility, it's all about personality, it's usually a striker that grabs the lion's share.
0: So um, I'm coming uh, to the next uh, 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 question with the legends of Italian football transitioning into uh, the managerial side of the game. And what you make of that and your opinion on which of the managers in current <laughs> you in you the know, 21st Italy, century uh, uh, stand out uh, in terms of Italian football managers?
1: Uh, where basically everybody pretends to be the best possible coach for the national team. So it's, it's in our culture to talk about uh, tactics and football strategy and how good we would be and what would we do that this coach is not doing. So it's probably in our DNA <coughs> sorry, <coughs> to be a football coach. And uh, maybe that explains in a way why so many former players that come from Italy are basically the state of the art when it comes to uh, to, to be in the, in, in the dugout. Um, Italian football is very tactical, coaches spend a lot trying to um, to teach their players new schemes, new formations, new way of playing, so a lot of players do assimilate that from, from the very beginning of their career and, and that makes the transition easier. As much as I don't like um, his, let's say, his personality. And, uh, for you,
0: in your opinion, Antonio which of the, of the managers he stood out that for you? He has uh,
1: succeeded pretty much everywhere that, that he went. Uh, and of course, Ancelotti. I mean, Ancelotti is also, uh, he has also performed everywhere that, that he went. Uh, I think that the advantage with Ancelotti was the fact that He managed to become a top-class coach at Milan, he spent seven, eight seasons there, so he really had the time to hone his his coaching skills, whereas Conte has had shorter stints, uh, but he has managed to perform in a shorter time everywhere he went. So to me, those two names really, really stand out.
0: Definitely. And that's awesome. And if you are joining us, uh, welcome to the show. And, uh, with us in the studio is, uh, Matteo, the founder and CEO of, um, famous Italian website, Cult Calcio. And, uh, your favorite team, AC Milan, won the Scudetto for the first time, I think, after the 2011-2012 season. And what's your opinion on that? And, uh, how did you feel and where were you on the day AC Milan won the Scudetto?
1: Wow, great, great question. Well, how I felt? Oh, well, amazingly, amazingly. I was not in town, unfortunately. Um, I mean, Monza is very close to Milan, so I could have just, you know, took my car and go celebrating in the Piazza del Duomo with the fans. But unfortunately, I was out of country in those days, so I could not... I could not celebrate appropriately. My take on uh, Milan winning the Scudetto last season, maybe it's uh, it's a bit um, out of the box one, but in in all honesty, I believe we we managed to take advantage of the fact that the competition did not perform very well. On um, on the one hand, you had Juventus. Uh, the the experiment of bringing back Allegri didn't work in the beginning, so Juventus enjoyed uh, a a disappointing season, right? You had Inter, who also went through a change in the dugout because Conte left and he was replaced by Simone Inzaghi, who, in my view, still didn't have what it took to to win the Scudetto at first try, and they also lost some very important players like Lukaku, like uh, Hakimi, so. Inter were also not in the best shape. Uh, and then you had Napoli which we talked about earlier. Napoli also had a very um, a very positive streak for some time but then when when the battle got close they lost two three games in a row and they basically lost the, lost the train. So Milan were just the more consistent team. I think they had a huge a very important motivator in uh, Ibrahim Slatan Ibrahimovic even if he, he didn't play that much but i believe he really managed to um, to to provide the younger players with a winning mentality which is something that they lacked of. and to summarize i think we we took advantage of the circumstances and we just performed best when it mattered, so especially in the last weeks, in the last few weeks of the league. Well, uh, if Which, you look at the uh, numbers, I mean it goes without saying Rafael Leal, he was the end of the series. Stood out for you. Who was best your best player, player from that from uh, the winning but team? But I'm gonna go with a less obvious choice. Uh, personally I really loved the way Olivier Giroud not only the way he played, but the mindset that he brought. Uh, And think about this, he's a 34, 35 years player. And uh, a lot of players who come to play to the Serie A at that age, they know that they passed their prime and they they just looking for, uh, let's say, a comfortable place to spend the last season of their career. And I was really impressed with how Giroud had a completely different mindset. You could really see from the very first days and the very first games that he had come to win, he had come to make an impact, and I believe his presence and his experience were also very helpful in the locker room, you know, when uh, things didn't always go very well. I think having a player with an experience like his and um, and, and a positive mindset like his made the difference. So I'm gonna pick him as uh, my favorite player of the season.
0: And uh definitely you are not you are not you are not wrong with Olivier Giroud. Olivier Giroud is one of the most underrated strikers um in the 21st century and uh, he has almost won a trophy in every single club. He's played and undoubtedly he's definitely one of the best uh strikers uh in his generation and uh speaking of outstanding players uh which player should we look out for this season in the italian syria
1: there is one player that is already making a difference uh and he is uh, uh, I'll try to pronounce him correctly. So I guess you know who I'm talking about. It's Grisha the He's from Georgia. Yes, yes. I mean, he's as good as as his name is complicated to pronounce for a non-native speaker. Uh, Very young. He's been absolutely devastating so far. So he's by far, I guess, the the most impressive players that we have seen playing in these
0: first 10 games. And uh, do you think he would last long in the in the Italian Serie A, or it's just a matter of time for any of the big teams across the top five leagues to come for him?
1: For any at this stage, any player that that is outstanding in the Serie A will be will be leaving at some point. It could be a matter of two years, three years, but if he really keeps playing at that level, it's just a matter of time before a, a Manchester City or a PSG will come will and basically take him away. So it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, unfortunately. And that's the reality of the of the Serie A at this stage. Uh, it is just not the top league in Europe as it used to be like 20 years ago, perhaps. So yeah, if he keeps playing in this way, we will bid farewell to him. Maybe not now, not in one year or two years, but it will come at some point.
0: Awesome, awesome. We've got many African listeners on this show and um, uh, we'll always uh, tune in and also do the uh, post-listening on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. Which African player has stood out for you in the Italian Syria and which player do we also need to look out for like a most promising talent. So it's a two question, the best African player and most promising African player in the Italian Syria.
1: I think, well, you need to help me here because I have one name in mind, uh, who is Ademola Lukman from Atalanta, uh, who is Nigerian board, but I'm not sure whether he has an English passport. So whether he would play for England or Nigeria in case. But in any case, he, he's been impressive. And, you know, a good part of Atalanta's good performances so far, they, they're a consequence of his, his striking abilities. So to me, that's a name that definitely um, it's standing out.
0: And uh, for you, your most promising?
1: Most promising, I think Ossiman is still very young. So he does have the possibility to, to become an even more little striker. With him, it, it, it's very interesting, his uh, evolution, because this is his first season in the Serie A. And I remember that when he first joined Napoli, it took quite some time for him to adjust uh, to the to the way of playing of the, the Serie A. I remember like for maybe five, six months, he, he didn't score a single goal. And he... he, he he seemed like lost uh, on the front of the Napoli uh, attacking line, but little by little, you know, he started to understand how things work. He started to find his position, his edge, and last season he's been lethal. And I, I believe he still has margin for growth. So to me, he's the most. He's one of the most promising African talents that I see not only in Serie A, but perhaps even, you know, even into the whole of the top five leagues.
0: And uh, definitely that's uh that's good and wonderful and but being a Ghanaian as well I'm going to be a bit biased and ask you a specific question on a Ghanaian talent in the Italian Syria that is uh, Felix Afenejan who used to play for AS Roma he scored exceptional goal uh in last season's Syria and uh what you make of him and he's now moved to uh Cremonese also even though they are not performing well currently but what do you make of him specifically?
1: If Mourinho puts some trust in the young man I believe he has the talent and he has what he takes and that's why I was a bit surprised to see him uh, moving to Cremonese which which is a is a relegation battling team and it's going to be a relegation battling team and if you ask me probably it would be also very difficult for them to, to remain in the top flight I was surprised because Mourinho was put in trust in a fan again he gave him some playing time last season and I thought that even Roma even though Roma uh, bought a player like DiBala this, this season he would have stayed and he would have got some, some playing chances so I would have loved to, to see him still playing for Roma. Perhaps Cremonese is going to play a bit more, but again, playing for a relegation battling team is not the same as playing for a team who, who's competing in Europe and who can fight for the high positions of the league table.
0: Thank you so much for that uh, deep and succinct uh, response. And... Um, uh, uh, our last and final question, which is off football, Italy um, is, uh, is 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 a is a huge tourist uh, spot in Europe. And uh, over the summer, I was also privileged to visit Como. But uh, for the purposes of our audience in South America, in Asia, on the African continent, and even in the U.S., who haven't been to Italy before, what are some of the hot Tourist and cultural spots that are lovely sports and football loving fans can enjoy?
1: Well, you, you could do like a stadium tour. You could come to Italy and choose an area and basically visit all the stadiums. But, I mean, jo- jokes aside, everywhere, Italy, and of course, bias and myself. Right, But I I do believe that Italy is an amazing country. You have so many different destinations that you can choose. Literally, if you move from one village to another, you're just gonna find something interesting and nice to see everywhere. So my advice to anybody visiting Italy would be, try to focus on an area because there is so much that you can do and, and time is always not enough. So rather than try to get a bit of everything, and say, you don't know, I want to visit uh, Milan, and then Rome, and then Naples, and then uh, Palermo, Turin, focus on an area which can be the north, or the center, or maybe an island like Sicily or Sardinia, and try to get the best out of it. Uh, Because that that will give you a real Italian experience, even if only a portion of that. And then, if you come back, then you can visit another area, but try to narrow your focus that that's what i would say
0: definitely matteo it's been a pleasure having you on the uefa champions league podcast and for today and uh, we hope it's the first of many 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 more appearances on the podcast it's been a pleasure coming your way with today's edition of the uefa champions league podcast and until same time next week when we come again your way with the next edition keep well stay blessed and don't ever ever give up it's bye for now